Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello, everyone. And thank you for joining me for another restful episode of True Scary Stories to Help You Fall Asleep. Today, we're going to be reading True Winter Survival Horror Stories. I hope you enjoy them. But before we get into the stories, I do want to introduce the sponsor of today's video, Mayono, and one of their products that they sent me, their USB slash XLR podcast dynamic microphone. This particular version is the PD200X. See if we can get the box here in frame. See if we can get it to focus on that. It's not wanting to focus. There we go. PD200X. So they sent me this microphone and they're wanting me to unbox it. I have never opened this before. So we just kind of take the top off there. This will be the first time I open this. I'm really excited to check out this microphone and see everything it does. So it comes with the user manual there at the top. Nice foam packaging. I do appreciate the foam packaging here. So here is the microphone itself. It looks a lot like the microphone I currently use, uh, except it does have a knob here for the for the volume. It has a knob right there for volume and a knob and a button right here to mute it. So this is a microphone that can be used both as USB or as XLR. And it has a headphone slot as well. So then inside the box, we also have the USB cord. What we're gonna do here is we're going to go ahead and test this. We're gonna test it in both USB and XLR um, format, just to see how they sound. And uh, give me one second and I'll be right back once I get this plugged in. Alrighty. And here is how the Mayono microphone sounds in um, XLR mode. So I'm testing it right now in XLR mode, and then we're gonna go ahead and unplug it and then test it in USB mode as well. And this is the Mayono PD200X running in USB mode. So what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna give it a quick listen in both modes so that I can hear both ways and see how it sounds and uh, I'll be right back to give my review. Okay, so after taking a listen to both of those recordings, 
I gotta say, I'm actually pretty impressed with how that thing sounds. That microphone does sound very, very good. The only drawback is that the windscreen on it, which is this big part right here that's on this microphone, it's a little thin, so you do get a lot of those plosives. So like whenever I say my P's or my B's, I was hearing a lot of like the extra air going into it, but that could be easily fixed just by like putting another one on like this. Um, otherwise, I think the Mayono sounded really good. And if you're looking for a good beginner microphone to get started in, you know, reading stories or doing YouTube or anything like that, I think the Miono is a really good choice, especially if you want to start off with USB and then maybe move on to XLR in the future once you um, once you want to upgrade some things. Uh, it's a really great microphone to do both. So make sure that you go to the link in the description down below. There will be a link if you are interested in purchasing one of them. But um, thank you guys so much. And without further ado, lay back, relax, and enjoy these true scary stories. I got snowed in at my family cabin, eight miles from the nearest paved road. The whole family and I were scheduled to go to Hawaii. I got trapped the day before the flight, and they left without me, which I would have done too. It snowed over four feet in 48 hours in New Mexico. Power went off early. No stove, no fridge, no light, no running water. I had to heat the house via the wood stove, had to melt snow on the stove for drinking water and cooking. Power came back on luckily after a day or two. I call all of my friends on the landline just to talk to someone. Day 10, I start to run out of food. I grab a very expired can of chili from the cupboard and heat it up. I heat half and immediately start to vomit and feel like crap. I call poison control and they say that I might have botulism can't say for sure. I'm snowed in and can't get to a hospital. They say that if I do have botulism, the first sign will be numbness in my extremities. After that, it could move quickly to my heart muscle. So if I feel any numbness, call back and they'll scramble a chopper. Luckily, it was just food poisoning. At 15 days, they slow the feeder dirt row. At this point, I've reread all of the Harry Potter books. I'm eating rice with bullion power for near a week. I give my 11-year-old Aussie a little trank, call my dad to give in as close as possible, and Avalanche carried my dog through the powder until I reached the car. It was epic. In Buffalo in 2006, we had what has been dubbed as the October Storm. I was working an overnight shift at a group home by myself. In the middle of the night, I noticed snow coming down hard, like January hard in October. It was relentless. I've never seen so much snowfall in such a short period of time. Shortly after, I noticed the sky looked like it was on fire. When I managed to open the door and get the kid out, there were tons of electrical wires down and sparking because of the weight of the snow. The entire sky was bright orange. 
I thought the roof was on fire. I was terrified. As soon as daylight broke, the entire city was buried under snow. Stayed that way for over a week. $530 million worth of damage. Near the end of March 2007, I was on an alpine tour in the Wapta ice fields in Alberta, Canada. The conditions were not good when we set out. Heavy snowfall, extremely high winds, temperatures around negative 20 degrees Celsius. Danger was high, probably borderline extreme at the time of our departure. We set out by skiing up to the Bow Hunt, an alpine club of Canada self-supporting hut way up on the toe of the glacier and proceeded to wait out the storm which took another full day before the skies cleared enough that we could venture up to the ice fields themselves the third day we set out across the ice fields and made the gordon summit one of the highest mountains surrounding the ice fields on the way back we made a little detour climbing up one of the slopes to catch a few lines heading back to the hut my friend made the first few cuts at the top before heading down on the right side of the major convex of the slope. No problems. I decided to follow, heading across the convex. First idiot mistake, and head down the left fall line. Well, on my first big cut across the face, past the theoretical shear point, the theoretical shear point became the real shear point, and I felt the entire slope begin to move under me. The next few seconds were a complete blur. I remember staying on top for a few seconds before being violently ragdolled down the slope a few hundred feet before coming to a rest. Whatever you might think about response time, generally there is none. I think I had a split second of control before I was gone. There was nothing I could do to prevent myself from getting sucked in. Fortunately, we all had beacons and my ski ended up sticking out right near where I'd gone under. I was completely disoriented for the first few seconds of being still, but I remember becoming fully around and realized that it was very dark, and the snow was very close to my face. I didn't completely panic, whether it was adrenaline or disorientation, but I was able to somewhat control my breathing. However, as the seconds went by, it literally felt like hours. I really did start to panic, as the realization that I might not survive started to set in. A few seconds slash minutes later. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here, and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I heard some muffled noise, 
and felt some movement on the snow above me. It wasn't long before I was uncovered by two of my friends who saw me go down. In the end, I was under the snow for maybe two to three minutes in total. I sustained a few cracked slash bruised ribs, a sprained elbow, a mild concussion, and a pretty sore neck for a few weeks. It really was a different experience than I thought that it might have been. Doing a fair bit of backcountry skiing, you think about avalanches a lot, but the reality is a lot different than what your mind makes it out to be. There is no time to react for the most part, and when you're under the snow, you quite literally cannot move at all. It's like being encased in concrete, and it is very frightening once the realization sets in. Anyways... That's my story. I live on an island in Maine that's an hour ferry ride out from civilization. The boat comes three days a week typically, but there's a lot of times that they cancel due to the weather. This one particular day, they probably should have canceled and I wouldn't have even got on, but I needed to make a flight for my friend's bachelor party. The swells were washing over the boat, and a couple of times it rocked so far that I had one foot set on the floor and the other on the wall for balance. One of the windows cracked from the force of a wave. I'm not normally too stressed on these boat rides, as I trust the captains to be a good judge and know what they and the boat can handle. But that time in particular really made me consider that I might drown in a freezing ocean. There was supposed to be really bad snow starting around 8pm. I was visiting a friend's place about 40 minutes from home, and I left to drive home at about 7. It was snowing, but not that hard. Within 10 minutes, I was trapped in freeway traffic in legit blizzard conditions. Your headlights hit the falling snow, so they don't light up the road very much. The wind is blowing the snow around so much that you can't see where your lane is, where the edge of the road is, anything. You're just desperately staring at a tiny patch of illuminated white in front of you. I accepted that I would probably end up in a ditch, Or, someone else near me would try to break and set off a chain of events, leading to all of us colliding. I decided to take the next exit and rent a motel room, but I couldn't get up the hill that the motel was on. I had to turn my wheels and let my car spin out as it slid back down the hill. And then, I did my best to get control before the bottom. I got back on the freeway and miraculously got home. My roommate started laughing and said, how the heck... Did you just drive home? A few years ago around Thanksgiving, it snowed a foot overnight. I was homeless at the time, riding my bike trailing a heavy bike cart that had a flat tire as the sun was going down and snow was starting to fall and I was sweating and exhausted because of the flat. I pulled into a parking lot to rest for a bit, unzipped my outer jacket, sat down and promptly fell asleep. I woke up in the middle of the night, 
with half a foot of snow on top of me. It took something like 10 minutes for me to be able to move any part of my body at all. I managed to eventually stand up, grab a blanket from my cart, and drag myself into a dumpster enclosure to wrap up in my blanket, between the dumpster and the wall. I don't know how I didn't freeze to death that night. I was driving home with my family after visiting my sister who lives a town over. I was learning how to drive, had a pretty good handle on it, and my stepdad let me drive there to get used to winter highway driving, so naturally I drove back as well. The storm wasn't supposed to start until later that evening, so we thought that it would be fine. It started snowing when we left, which wasn't terrible because I was capable of driving in the snow, but it picked up fast. We had just left town, and there were maybe 10 minutes into the drive before it became a complete whiteout. I'm driving in the left lane. It's 8 p.m., middle of January, so it's pitch black and peak winter where I live. Not to mention these are Canadian highways. The only lights you get, for a long stretch, are going to be your headlights. I was doing my absolute best not to panic, and I was shocked at the level of calm that I was able to muster. My stepdad was doing his best to guide me and try to find a safe place to pull over. But the winds were blowing snow everywhere, so we couldn't see the ditches or the lines. I had two worries. One, I'm in the left lane, so if I pull over, I might not know how far exactly to go and might throw us into a ditch that's completely filled with snow. And two, I can't see the lines at all, and if I keep driving, I might not stay in the correct lane because of that. The only thing I could do was keep driving until I was absolutely certain that it was safe to pull over. I was using the rumble strips as my only guide, since the tires were able to get a slight feel for them, driving 30 kilometers per hour in a 90 zone. My stepdad is guiding me to the road his parents live on, so we can have a better place to stop. We passed maybe eight cars in the ditch between my sister's town and my grandparents' road. At some point, the road was completely covered, and the rumble strips weren't noticed anymore either. So I was just going off of instinct. I ended up hitting a sheet of ice at an awkward angle and spun out into the oncoming lane, got control of the car, saw faint headlights, and said, yep, wrong lane, shouldn't be here at all, and quickly but safely moved us into the proper lane. My mom's in the back seat freaking out because we just spun out. My stepdad is surprisingly less chill than me, but trying to keep us cool. Doing everything he can not to grab the wheel in a panic. I can barely see an inch from the front of the car. Finally managed to get to his parents' road and pull over. We got out to switch places, and when I stepped out of the vehicle, the snow was up to my shins. Ended up staying the night at my grandparents' house, because there was no way that we were making it back home alive if we tried found out about 15 minutes after getting in that they closed off the highways due to poor conditions. We had to dig our way out of the house the next morning to go home. I got to stay home from school that day since I was stuck out of town. Meanwhile, everyone else had to go in. It was my first winter with my learners and my first blizzard drive. If we had a smaller car, we never would have made it to my grandparents to begin with. 
I was terrified, but I was not going to let my parents know that, especially with my mom in the backseat scared. I never should have driven that night, but it helped me learn how to handle those kind of drives later on, and I became a better driver because of it. It was a trip, though, that's for sure, and one that I'll never forget. I was driving up to a ski hill after a snowstorm, not having a great amount of money at the time. I hadn't invested in winter tires. There was a tractor trailer in front of me, a car to my left and another car behind. Something shifted in the passenger seat, so I took my eyes off of the road for a moment. The right wheels crossed into the shoulder and lost traction. The car drifted to the right, onto the shoulder. I would have gone into the guardrail, but the snow had piled up against it forming a natural curb that my car bounced off of. Between steering the car back towards where I wanted it to go and the car bouncing off the snowbank, my car, still without proper traction, started drifting left. The truck ahead had begun to slow, but I didn't want to brake for fear of losing what little traction I did have. So my car makes its way sideways across the lane, and I prepare for whatever's going to happen when I sideswipe the vehicle one lane over. But just as I hit the center of the lane, my tires managed to grip the road again, and I resumed moving straight forward, tapping my brakes at this point to prevent myself from rear-ending the truck, which was now right in my face. It feels like an eternity typing it out like this, but the whole event couldn't have taken more than a few seconds. In the end, the only thing that my car made contact with, other than the road, was that snowbank, and it Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation. Because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com didn't even leave a mark and when I got home from the ski hill I bought myself snow tires because even though snow tires are expensive there was no way that I was letting that happen to me again I had to drive through a mountain pass in a blizzard once. Conditions weren't great beforehand, but they were manageable enough and holding steady. For the first few miles of the pass, it was pretty standard. Squalls from wind gusts, but no fresh snow falling. Then all heck broke loose. It started snowing again. It was night, the wind was up, and literally everything outside the car was shifting and moving like TV static. I couldn't see the road. I could barely see the end of my own car. There was absolutely nothing but whiteness outside, and it was making me feel dizzy because there was just no sense of direction anymore. Oh yeah, to my left was a wall of rock, and to my right was a huge drop. And I'd never driven in a blizzard before. I had never even really driven in heavy snow before. It was so unbelievably tempting to stop but I'd actually read from some more experienced blizzard drivers on Reddit 
that stopping is the worst thing you can do because you'll just get bogged down as the snow continues to fall. In fact, we passed a car abandoned at the side of the road that seemed to have fallen into the same trap. The people weren't stuck there. We slowed to check. I ended up being saved by a semi-driver who let all the smaller cars ride in a convoy inches from his bumper. Everyone followed in the deep tire tracks and stayed close enough to the car to see the rear lights. Considering we were all going at about two miles per hour at the most, it worked out. It took two and a half hours to go about 35 miles. After getting out of the pass, there was still another couple of hours to go, but they were easy compared to that. When we reached our destination, I had a stiff drink for the nerves for the first time in my life and went straight to bed. It was the scariest driving experience of my life. Huge shout out to that truck driver. I lived in Utah in 1999. We got over two feet of snow very late in the season. Dad took us out of school to go skiing. The mountain, Alta, was closed because they lacked enough crew to handle all of the new snowfall. The ski patrol said that we were free to hike up a single groomed path on the main face. On our way up, two skiers high above us triggered a slide onto us. We were swept about 40 yards into a grove of trees, probably why I survived. My dad and I were buried up to our chests and shoulders. We were upright, but pinned in packed snow. I didn't know if my brother was alive for five minutes. I just sat. Nothing I could do. My brother was buried about two feet deep. He spit so that he knew which way was up. A lot of people die in avalanches because they're disoriented and dig the wrong way. After my brother freed himself, he found us about ten yards up. Ski patrol and several others in the mountain found us in 10 minutes. They had to use shovels to free us. When an avalanche stops, it is unbelievably packed. We ended up being on the news that night, and my teachers knew that I wasn't homesick. I was pretty new at driving, and coming home from work late one night, I decided it was the perfect time for my first drive across the lake, Minnesota. Things were okay for the first few minutes, but as I got closer to the center of the lake, I started getting nervous. It was really hard to see anything except for the plowed path in front of me, and I realized that I had no idea where I was going to come off at the lake, or if the path even went all the way across the lake so I decided that I would turn around and go home. As soon as I backed up off the plowed area to turn around, I was stuck in over a foot of snow. I tried rocking the car, tried putting my floor mat under the tire, which just ended up flinging the mat 20 feet behind me, tried digging out the snow with my scraper. The only thing I succeeded in doing was breaking a fingernail off, causing my finger to start bleeding. This was way before cell phones, so I finally decided that I needed to start walking towards home. I was probably three or so miles away. Unfortunately for me, the wind chill was about negative 20, and I don't know if you've ever tried to walk across a frozen lake on a windy night, but a lake is pretty flat, 
and there's nothing to shield you from the wind. By the time that I got off the lake, I was seriously thinking that I was going to die of hypothermia. Not long after, I reached an area of houses, and my extremely introverted, shy, socially awkward self bravely decided that I needed to knock on a door for help. Someone finally answered. I explained my predicament and asked if I could use their phone. I called home, feeling relieved that help was within reach and enjoying the warmth of this stranger's house. And my younger brother answered. I told him to go get dad. He said, nope, haha. I told him that he wasn't funny and I needed help. And he hung up on me. I called back, but he must have left the phone off the hook because I only got a busy signal. After trying a few more times and feeling increasingly awkward, I decided that the only thing I could do was walk the rest of the way home. So I did. My burning hatred of my brother and plans to beat him up, keeping me warm. I made it home with only one little spot of frostbite on my finger. Had a hole in my glove. My brother got read the riot act by my dad, as did I for driving onto the lake. And the next day, dad drove me back to get my car which thankfully hadn't been towed. I haven't had any interest in driving on a lake ever since. I'm sharing my survival story from a couple of days ago. My friend wanted to go camping on a two-day one night trip during a snowstorm to test our gear to the fullest. We were not using tents, but instead using hammocks, sleeping bags, tarps, and ropes. I was in Northern California with a friend a bit above the forest ranch and camping somewhere between 6,000 and 6,500 feet in Laysan National Park. There was already about four inches of snow on the ground when we arrived. We parked my red car on a large turnout and grabbed our gear and headed east off the road, which is the only highway that went through the whole forest region. We walked in about a half mile from the road in the thick forest with the occasional clear-cut trees from logging. We started on hanging the tarps for rain slash snow cover. We spent a couple of hours starting the fire because everything was wet and almost impossible to get the fire going. Then we put up the hammocks, but my friend forgot his so he had to use some thick painting tarps to rig one up. I knew it was going to take him a while to get it going, so I went for a hike alone to go to the top of the mountain and look around and also gather things for camp. It's an hour before sundown. I told him, I will be back in an hour, and I have my gun, but I'm not going to shoot it. We saw bear droppings near camp. I headed out with a thermal top and bottom, a boxer's, beanie, T-shirt, hoodie, wool socks with a small bag around each of them, hiking boots, snowboarding jacket, and snowboarding pants, gloves, not waterproof at all, Smith & Wesson pocket knife, not very sharp, a Glock 19 with 10 rounds and a holster, bright waterproof headlamp, iPod, and headphones. I head up the mountain listening to music, just chilling and enjoying nature. I leave snow tracks except when I get to areas with no snow, because the trees above caught it all. I get to the top, 
about one to one and a half miles from camp and turn around and enjoy the view. By then, my gloves were frozen solid and cannot be used anymore, so my hands are starting to freeze. It's time to head back to camp. I follow my footsteps in the snow back until I got to a very large area with no snow and couldn't pick back up on my tracks. I have a pretty good sense of direction, so I continue in the general area that camp was in. I keep walking for another 20 minutes and it starts raining and I realize that I'm lost. I start yelling stuff in groups of three to get a response from my friend. Then the sun was down and it gets dark up there fast. I take my gun out and fire one shot and wait for a response. No response. I'm lost in the woods at night. I turn on my headlamp and try to signal with that. No luck. So I put the headlamp on and start walking and backpacking, yelling the entire time. A few hours pass by and I still can't find the camp in the pitch dark. I realize that I'm not sleeping at camp tonight. I'm sleeping in the woods. It's windy and snowing with a temperature well below 30 degrees Fahrenheit. And I start to question if it's even possible to spend a night in these conditions. I try to take down little pine trees with my knife, but it's a cheap knife that did not cut very well, even after sharpening. So I resort to only being able to take snow-covered saplings out of the ground while still barehanded and freezing. I am soaked from head to toe. The waterproof jacket, pants, and boots did not keep water out. I eventually rip out about 11 saplings and lay them on the ground next to a tree that doesn't have snow under it. This is my bed tonight. I close up my jacket, put my hood all the way on, and put my hands in the cold, watery pockets and get in a fetal position under the tree. You go to a dark place in your mind when you know that you're near death. I can barely admit to the thoughts that I was having. Very dark, and never want to go there again. I'm beyond freezing and soaked. I'm shivering so much. It was almost like a seizure. It was a very hard night having to move my muscles and toes every few minutes to keep the blood flow and prevent frostbite and hope that I didn't get hypothermia. Somehow I woke up in the morning. I realized that this was not all a dream and I am still lost in the wild and there was over two inches of snow or so on the ground. I've followed my tracks multiple times and have two to five sets of tracks on any path that I took. I admit to walking in circles when I tried a straight walk line. I knew that I could no longer follow my tracks. I had to choose a direction and go for it. I eventually got to a logging road. It was a wide road, at least 15 feet wide. I had a feeling that it might lead back to the highway, or it'll go further into the forest, so I had to choose right. Based on the sun's position, I had to go north or south on this road. I chose to go south and hoped that it was correct. I walked for over five miles on this road, making signals like my name and an arrow in the direction that I was going, and big SOS in the snow, also yelling in groups of three the whole time. I eventually heed a car traveling on the highway, way in the distance, and that was the sound of relief. I kept walking and eventually got to the highway. I stood right on the double yellow lines and put my most miserable face on to get someone to stop. A Dish Network truck eventually stopped, and he took me up the road to my parked car. I got out, headed out towards our camp again, and fired another shot from the gun, a victory that I'm still alive shot. 
I yelled, and my friend responded, and I made it back to camp with my life and limbs. By far, the scariest near-death experience I have ever had. If you have any questions about it, I will try to answer them. I'll keep this short and sweet. A few years back, we were having a brutally cold winter. The snow had frozen into ice and it covered everything. It was pitch black in the backyard when I went to let my dog outside one last time before bed that evening. As we exited the house from the sliding door of the walkout basement and onto the lower deck, I felt that something was off. Our house backs up to some woods, so I was accustomed to hearing noises from wildlife in the night. This night was different. Nothing made a sound except the arctic cold wind, but I had a feeling that I was being watched. The entire time, my dog was in the backyard. I looked around nervously, expecting a coyote or other predator to pop out of the tree line. My dog did his business, but afterwards stopped and stared at a corner of the woods until I got creeped out and called him back inside. I quickly locked the sliding door and shut the curtains, unable to shake the uneasy feeling that I had outside. After double and triple checking all the doors and locks in the house, I went to bed. At around 3 o'clock in the morning, I hear the muffled sound of my dog barking from the basement two floors below. I got up, stumbled down three flights of stairs, and found him standing at the basement sliding door. He was peeking his head through the closed curtains, barking his head off with the hair standing up all along his back. I tried calling him away from the door, but he wouldn't let up. I dreaded peeking out the curtain to see what he was barking at after the uneasy feeling I had earlier in the night. Finally, I held my breath and swiped the curtain aside. I peered into the inky blackness, but saw nothing to cause any alarm. A wave of relief washed over me. I figured it must have been a deer or raccoon in the backyard that set him off. He whined at the door for a few more minutes until I bribed him upstairs with a dog cookie. I went back to bed and wasn't disturbed again. That is, until this morning, when I went to the basement to let the dog out. I opened the sliding door and walked out onto the deck as he bounded into the snow. My blood ran as cold as the sub-zero morning temperatures when I looked down. There, frozen into the ice on the deck, was a set of bare human footprints. They were very clear. I could make out each toe on the person's foot. The prints were large and appeared to be from an adult male. Looking around, I noticed that they started at the base of the deck, went to the sliding door and the window of the basement living room, then seemed to disappear off the side of the deck. I had my snow boots on, so I walked around the yard, but I could find no trace of the footprints in the snow once they left the deck. Keep in mind, the daily temperatures that winter barely made it above zero degrees Fahrenheit, and the wind chill made it feel close to 20 below. Frostbite would set in within a matter of minutes for anyone walking around barefoot, especially in the dead of the night. I never experienced anything like that again, but I did adopt a second dog shortly thereafter.
I used to work on the north slope of Alaska in the oil industry. The work we were doing required us to travel far out into the Alaskan Petroleum Reserve, which is basically just untamed tundra wilderness for hundreds of miles. The oil companies would build these long ice roads in the winter that would lead to exploration drilling pads. Our job was to go out after they finished the initial drilling and test rock formations for their oil-producing qualities. It was mid-January. The sun hadn't quite come up yet. And when I say the sun hadn't come up, I mean in almost a month and a half. Polar nights are intense. The particular well site we were traveling to was about 60 miles west of Alpine, Alaska, deep in the wilderness. Our job took a week, but we finished and were headed back to camp to finish our hitch and go home. At the beginning and end of the ice roads are guard shacks that you have to check in and out of for safety. No cell reception and radios only work up to a distance. If you don't check in or out in a set time, they come looking for you to ensure that you're not a popsicle. It was about four in the morning, not that it mattered in the land of endless night, and we were halfway across the ice road. Travel was slow as the speed limit on the roads is only 25 miles per hour, when something appeared on the road in our headlights. It was a man, in jeans, sneakers, and a hoodie jacket, walking down an ice road in wilderness tundra at 4 a.m., and it was negative 20 degrees outside. It's not unusual for the local Inuit people to be out this far hunting. Maybe his snowmobile broke down, and he's trying to get back to the guard shack. That seemed plausible. He didn't acknowledge us as our trucks rolled up next to him. He just kept shuffling forward. He didn't seem cold. His clothing, while totally not appropriate for this extreme weather, appeared warm and dry. We also noticed that he wasn't Inuit, but Caucasian. I rolled down my window and asked if he needed any help and if he was okay. He still didn't acknowledge us, just kept shuffling forward. His face was completely blank, devoid of any thought or emotions. The other guys in my truck suggested that maybe he was in an accident and in shock. I continued rolling my truck alongside him as he trudged down the road, still trying to get his attention. Even in this extreme cold, I could occasionally get whiffs of a peculiar smell coming off of him. He smelled acidic, if that makes sense. There was just a lot about this guy that made the hair on my neck stand up. The guy behind me in the truck's crew cab had had enough of all this. He rolled down his window and reached out to grab the guy. He later said that he was just going to try to shake him out of his stupor. Before my buddy's hand could reach him, though, this walking popsicle spun around and latched onto my buddy's outstretched arm. He glared at my buddy, and then at me with this look of pure rage, not removing his hand from his arm. If emotions had a physical temperature, this guy could have melted the entire tundra that night. My buddy groaned in pain as he tried to get his arm free from Mr. Popsicle. At that moment, this guy starts screaming in our faces. There was so much hate and rage and anger in that scream. It was absolutely terrifying. I slammed on the gas and spun out on the ice for a second before the wheels caught and launched us forward. Popsicle dude still had a hold of my buddy's arm and was trying to pull him out of the truck. He was running along the side of the truck while the other guys in the cab held onto my buddy to keep him inside. After several moments, it could have only been a few seconds at most, my buddy tore free from this guy 
and we hauled to get to the guard shack another 30 miles down the road. We checked in with the guards and reported what we had just seen. The guard was looking at us like we were pulling a prank, but policy said that they had to check it out regardless. My buddy's arm was sore, and when we pulled back his sleeve, there were noticeable bruises in the shape of a hand around his arm. We filed a report with the guard and were told to head back to our camp. None of us really wanted to talk about what happened, and it was quite a drive the rest of the way. We flew home the next day. The next time we saw the guard at this shack, we asked him if they ever saw Mr. Popsicle on his patrols. He told us that they searched up and down that ice road for a solid 12-hour shift and saw nothing, not even tracks in the snow leading off the road. He told us it was a good prank and that he'd get us back for making him waste a shift driving around. But it wasn't a prank. Who would make up a story like that? And who would willingly bruise their arm for a dumb prank? We never got a satisfying answer to what happened that evening. I still wonder about that dude. If he even was a dude. The Alaskan tundra is a weird place. And that was just one of my many weird stories from my time up there. I'll work to write down more of my experiences and share them to the appropriate subreddits. This incident happened to me over the Christmas holidays this past year, and it just occurred to me that the sheer insanity of it might make it a good fit for this subreddit. For reference, I'm a 24-year-old female. My cousin and I decided to go up a few hours north for a nice winter cabin weekend. It went great. Nothing creepy at all. On our final day, we packed up at 6 a.m. and hopped in the car to get an early start on the roughly five-hour drive that we had ahead of us. It was a foggy morning. Not actively snowing, but previous snowfalls had piled up quite a bit, making the drive a little risky in the dark early hours of the morning. My cousin was driving, and we were chatting and listening to podcasts, not too aware of our surroundings. We were about 20 minutes into the drive, when unfortunately, the car skidded off the road a little bit. Stupid black ice. And we were very slightly grazed a tree. We got out to take a look, and by some miracle there was no damage or anything on the car. As my cousin and started to laugh with relief, we were just thanking our luck. I shielded my eyes because some idiot with their crazy high beams was coming up behind us. So obnoxious, my cousin laughed, starting to open her door and step back in when the blinding headlight car honks and continues to keep at us as they approach us. My cousin and I looked at each other, super confused, but quickly hopped back in the car. The car begins to slow down and we're able to see a man in the driver's seat and he finally takes his hand off of his horn and pulls up right next to my cousin's car, which is really dumb because we were off the road and it was crazy slippery. He rolls down his window and motions for my cousin to roll down hers. We figure it's fine because he's still in his car and we're in ours. I know, still probably a stupid move. Hey there, ladies. In a rush this morning? He laughs. Um, not really. Just trying to get home. Can we help you with something? My cousin replies. Totally stone-cold poker face. Oh no, I just noticed you dropped something two kilometers back. It fell out of your trunk. 
My cousin turned to look at me. Did you shut the trunk when we left? Yeah, dude, obviously, I replied. And knowing that the way the car is shaped, we would have definitely seen and definitely heard an open trunk. No thanks, sir. I think you might have us mixed up with someone else, my cousin said and immediately rolled up her window. This man just gave off bad vibes. He started blaring his horn again and motioning for us to roll down the window. My cousin rolls it down again and sees him holding up some women's underwear and smiling. See, this look familiar? I can literally remember the exact tone with which he said that. No thanks, sir. You have a great day now. My cousin quickly rolled up her window again and floored it, quickly hopping back on the road. And thankfully, the man was neither taken aback or just gave up, and we didn't see him for the next hour or so. My cousin and I were both a little shaken up, but tried to laugh it off since we were safe and hadn't seen his car follow us or anything. About two hours into the trip, we got off at an exit to fill up gas and grab some breakfast at a Starbucks. My cousin and I mobile ordered, and I was going to quickly run in to grab our food and drinks. It had started snowing at this point, and while the sun had been up for a little bit, it was still foggy and gloomy, making it hard to see the surroundings. I ran in, and as I reached for our food, someone's arm reached over mine to grab a napkin, and I instantly flinched back. When I looked up, I truly almost crapped myself. It was the same man from the road earlier. Despite him never getting out of the car, he did have his lights on, and I was able to get a clear view of his face. It was him, I was sure. Look at us, just like old friends, he smiled at me. I immediately sat down, grabbed my food, and started walking out of the store. As I left, I heard him talking to the barista, saying, See that beauty queen? That's my beauty queen. What the heck? I almost had tears in my eyes because I was so terrified. I power walked back to the car, almost tripping outside because I was so scared and not walking like a normal person. I hopped in and screamed, we need to get back on the road. He's inside the Starbucks. My cousin started laughing, thinking that I was pranking her, but she quickly realized that that was not the case when the man walked out of the Starbucks a few seconds later with no drink or food in hand, walking straight towards our car, waving at us. My cousin quickly started to turn our car on. When the man reached into his pocket, I genuinely thought that he would pull out a weapon, holding up the underwear that he had before. Thankfully, my cousin took no time in backing out of there and speeding back onto the highway. We both were freaking out at this point, not sure how he ended up at the same stop at us, despite us not seeing him behind us at all. He could have taken some sort of back roads that we didn't know about, but it would have taken him much longer than us to get there, unless he was trailing behind us. I don't know. We quickly tried to find an alternate route on our Maps app, and thankfully there was one that made us go through some local roads, which we hoped might help. Of course, with our luck, as we were going through a smaller town, I felt the car getting gradually lower on my side. We pulled over at a well-lit gas station and realized that we were losing air in one of the tires. We were both too scared to get out, but figured if we went out together, it might be less scary. So we did. We filled up the tire with some air and it seemed to be okay. We got back in the car, back on our way, 
everything seemed fine until 10 minutes later when this car seemed to appear out of nowhere directly behind us. My cousin and I looked at each other, having no idea what to do if it were the man. Our suspicions were confirmed when he blared his stupid horn yet again, then quickly swerved off the road to get right next to us. So this time he was on my side. He had his window rolled down and was screaming at us. At this point, I didn't care and called my brother-in-law who's a cop. I know I should have called the police directly. It was a stupid move. But in the moment, I was just trying to justify this as not being that serious. My brother-in-law told us to drive directly to the nearest police station and to call them right away so that they would be alert. Literally, as he was instructing me, the creep braked his car, just stopped on the side of the snowy, icy road. We were still speeding away, so it quickly got harder and harder to see him. But from what I could make out, he had gotten out of his car and was sitting on the hood, just sitting on the hood of his car in freezing, snowy weather. My cousin and I did not want to stop or do anything with about an hour left in our journey. We decided to just book it straight home, and thankfully, that was the end of that. I know we made a lot of stupid mistakes that could have potentially had horrible consequences, but I am super happy that we made it out alive and unharmed. I still don't know how he caught up to us seemingly magically, and why he just sat there at the end, but I don't even want to find out at this point. Thank you so much for listening to all of the stories in this video. I hope you enjoyed them. I also hope that you enjoy the extra rain at the end. Get a good night's sleep, everyone. And I'll read to you in the next video. Good night now.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.